Welcome to Vibing Consciously, the podcast dedicated to deep discussions about spiritual healing and enlightenment. Hi, everyone. I'm Kat. And I'm Sarah. We're the host of the Vibing Consciously podcast, where we explore the power of conscious living together. In this podcast, we dive deep into the realms of self-love, self-awareness, and self-transformation. We don't just talk about it. We actively live and breathe it, always holding each other accountable as we navigate this journey together. That's right. We're two best friends on our own journey to healing, supporting each other despite our own beliefs and personal experiences. Through honest conversations, introspection, and connecting with our listeners, we uncover valuable insights, tools, and practices that support our constant evolution. By going inward, we unravel the mysteries of our own selves, and we're here to pass everything along that we've learned on our journey. You'll get to witness firsthand what the road to enlightenment looks like from the inside. Join us now as we dive deep into more healing, happiness, and wholeness. Whether you're a seasoned spiritual seeker or just starting on your path, Vibing Consciously is a podcast for you. Get ready to immerse yourself in discussions that will uplift your spirit, expand your consciousness, and inspire you to embrace your own self-love journey. Let's vibe consciously. In this episode of Vibing Consciously, we're joined by a special guest, Rosa Hope. Rosa is a career academic and spiritual mentor and facilitator. Rosa, Sarah, and I discuss the personal challenges faced by mothers and women, especially here in America. Rosa shares her personal stories about her experience becoming a mom during the COVID lockdown and some challenges she faced not only in herself, but her marriage as well. Rosa stays candid about ways that she felt disconnected spiritually while raising her daughter amidst the pandemic and what that meant for her personally. Additionally, we emphasize the significance of effective communication and boundary setting in navigating the complexities of motherhood and womanhood. We delve into the importance of establishing healthy boundaries and how they contribute to personal growth and overall well-being. Furthermore, we examine the concept of sacrifice and question which sacrifices truly hold value and which ones may not be worth the cost. We also explore the impact of societal stereotypes placed on women and discuss strategies to break free from these labels, allowing individuals to embrace their authentic selves more fully. Join us in this episode as we engage in a thought-provoking conversation about the unique challenges faced by mothers and women in America, offering insights and strategies to empower individuals to navigate their own journeys with authenticity and resilience. We hope you enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Vibe and Consciously. Hey, guys. Hi. So we are super (laughs) excited. We, we have, have a guest. Yes. <laughs> yes. And we've been chatting for like almost two hours and not recording anything. So now we're finally re- pressing the record button so that we can get some of this awesome conversation on tape. So I have a good friend of mine here, Rosa Hope. She is a career academic, spiritual mentor and facilitator, and just an all around awesome person with a lot of really good things to offer Aww. our podcast and to our friendship. Obviously, but welcome, Rosa. We're super happy to Thank have you here. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here with you two today, uh, and I'm excited. I've been listening to y'all's podcast since episode one, so this is this is a cool moment for me, too, to be a part of this, so yeah. thanks for having me. Yeah, and thank you for your support. Rosa has been a listener since day one and has also given me her input and her support, and it's been amazing, and today we're talking about just being a mom in America. We were going to talk about past life regressions and quantum physics, but we just decided with the conversation that we're having that it is more important 
for the collective right now to focus on being a mom in America. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, you know, like I, I keep it relevant, right? So I, I couldn't agree more. And I think this is very timely. You know, almost everyone in our spheres here is having, a, I would say, some kind of economic contraction, shall we say. And I don't mean contractions like giving birth. I mean contraction like it's getting smaller, right? Mm-hmm. So everyone's feeling a little bit of a squeeze. There are a lot of demands on our time. There's a lot of demands on our energy. And there are some realities to being a mother in the United States that are unique. It's not like this for moms in every country. The way that mothers are or aren't supported in the U.S. is a very unique challenge, shall we say. And one of the things we wanted to talk about today was how, how do we maintain a kind of spiritual baseline? How, how can we do this in a spiritual way when the demands are so 3D, right? right. So Yeah, and it, it can be really challenging. And it seems like a lot of us are mirroring each other right, right now where we were saying before starting the podcast that Rosa and I are feeling a push, like it's crunch time now to get things done. And as a light worker and someone in the spiritual community, I'm sure a lot of people know what we're talking about right now with this push. Like we have to align quickly for whatever is coming. It's like this feeling, this bubbling that we all have inside of us. Mm -hmm. But we still have families and we still have jobs and very real life things that we have to deal with on a daily basis to keep us healthy physically and mentally and as well as spiritually and trying to help our community. So we're going to talk about what we're doing to help ourselves through these times mm-hmm. and what we're experiencing because we all have young kids. Right. Well, and I think we tend to be oversubscribed uh, mm-hmm. to, and that's one of the things we were discussing this morning is that, you know, many of us have a really broad range of responsibilities. So what are we sort of requested to be? in in our culture right now especially as a mom it's like okay you want to be an awesome mom and parent you want to be uh successful in your business endeavors uh you also want to be sexually desirable you know and healthy and things like that so there are a lot of demands that actually pull us in different directions but nowhere in these demands is like we want you to be whole Right. We want you to show up authentically as yourself. Like, where's that stuff, you know? And so when you're of a spiritual bent, you know, like the people in this room, that's one of the most important things to us is to is to maintain our spiritual baseline, to uh, expand, to grow, to learn, to show up authentically and with integrity in our lives. And if that's the thing that's really important, if that's the guiding star, how does that fit into all these other cultural demands? Like that's, that's the question. How can we be both? How can we do all of these things? Uh, and I think our approaches are probably all quite different. So it's like I can share, I, I mean, I was telling Kat about this. My approach is to set some of those burdens down. So mm-hmm. a few of those demands I just ignore because they haven't really served me in any beneficial way in my life. And so I pare it down to the things that I think are the most Im- important. However, I do want to add that for me, the spiritual foundation is what everything else grows off of or branches off of. So for me, it's not like I'm trying to find spirituality in the midst of all of this. It's more that I see in myself that my spiritual nature 
is fundamental ultimately and that by by giving attention to that i can be better in my family and right. in my community so that's where i really begin if i'm having issues spiritually that's definitely where i go first that being said i was just a hot mess of a person before my spiritual journey really started and that was really apparent in all my relationships my relationships were very messy they were high drama there was a lot of betrayal and misunderstanding. And in a sense, I kind of thought that was normal or that's what everybody had going on. Because if you watch TV, that kind of looks like the norm. Right. Uh, but I also knew it didn't feel good. So in my early 20s, still a pretty toxic person myself, I at least began the journey. And it was pretty rough at first. Because as you know, if you carry a lot of trauma and toxicity in yourself the spiritual journey forces you to confront all of that stuff mm -hmm. so that was hard but you know you do it anyway because it's the way forward that it I like to say like the only way out is through and I really think that's true even now but by going through that by having some very special people in my life who at least could kind of support that journey I was able to come out the other side not to say that the spiritual journey's ever done, but I, I did a lot of house cleaning, shall right. I say. So I, I was able to kind of clear things out and see who, discover who I really was, discover what I was doing in the world. Um, we all sort of have the same general purpose, which is really to be here for each other, to help each other. The question is how, like in what way? And for me, it tends to be about holding space, showing up, making sure people can feel heard but essentially it's like I show up and people start doing the work and then maybe not because I'm there but I know that right. I do create a space in which people feel comfortable doing it right. so it happens even when like a plumber comes to my house and we sit down at the table for him to give me an estimate he doesn't just give me the estimate he talks to me about his mother right. and his family and his dreams for his future and he starts kind of doing his work there just because we're there together right so I see it in me and and that's how I ended up becoming a, a spiritual facilitator and a mentor anyway because it's like it's happening anyway how do I just can I just do this? You know, can, yeah. I just, can I just show up for people? Right. Um, but, you know, I, I was very transformed in the transition to motherhood because, you know, I thought the demands on me as a woman were high before I was a mom. I still think they were. It's just the demands are so much higher when you add being a mom on top of that. There's just no way to understand it, frankly, unless either you've done it yourself or you've lived in the house with somebody doing it, it's like you have to really be exposed to it. I think that's one of the ways in which our culture is really lacking, right. is that for generations, motherhood has been hidden. It's hidden in a nursery, or it's hidden in a home. The, the, what we go through physically during pregnancy and childbirth and postpartum has been very contained, mm -hmm. and it's not public. So it's not just that men don't know about it, it's that women don't know about it either. Right. So it's this big mystery that if it wasn't so under wraps, we would be way less fearful about some of the things we encounter in pregnancy and postpartum because we'd understand it's part of the journey. Right. We would be better supported because it wouldn't be a taboo subject. Right. So one of, you know, this is sort of like, where do we begin? When I was pregnant, I told everybody what was going on with me, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? And when people in my office would ask me, you know, about these things, I would just tell them the truth because I don't think it should be taboo. And I think it actually serves others well to understand. I mean, it's the most natural thing in the world. Every, every human being 
came from a mother, right? So how is it not just this normal, why is it not seen as just a regular part of life as, as, as just, it's as natural as breathing, you know? It's, it's very strange to me that it's been closeted in any way. So that was an important thing for me was to be really open and talk about the things I was learning, the things I was going through, and to try to establish a, a baseline for being able to talk about it without, I don't know, giving people the heebie-jeebies. It's like, it's, it's just too strange to me that it's hidden. But also in the process of giving birth, I think our culture has a really strong message that childbirth is painful mm -hmm. and scary and, you know, just there's a lot in that it's a medical crisis. Right. Um, which, again, moves away from this concept of, of childbirth as the most natural thing in the world. Right. Look, women were giving birth uh, unassisted by Western medicine for eons longer than they ever have been assisted by Western medicine. Right. And it's become so unnatural now, too. That's right. probably Espe why it's so even in, Right. Even in the position they want you to be in while giving birth, which is completely, like, nonsensical from right. a physiological standpoint. So, you know, you can bet I was a handful in the <laughs> delivery room because I didn't want people putting stuff on me or touching me or telling me what position to be in. Yeah. Um, needless to say, I had a healthy baby. She came when she was ready, you know, and uh, it, but and it changed my life forever, as I think it always does when you when you have children. Um, the demands were really high. COVID hit right away, so uh, my husband and I were super isolated uh, for most of her first two years. Um, it, you know, we kind of joked that it was like being on a spaceship together. Mm -hmm. Because we didn't go, you know, we went out on walks, like in the woods and stuff, but we, we were not with other people really at all. Right. Um, which is, uh, I, I mean, we had concerns. It's hard to be in that kind of isolation just with your partner. So you learn a lot very quickly. We knew a lot of people whose relationships didn't survive that, that amount of just together time. Ours did, but it was really a challenge. It, us being together was never a challenge. I think ha trying to raise a newborn by yourself. Oh, yeah. And like working from home and all that kind of stuff was extremely challenging because childcare was totally unavailable. You know, we still needed to pay the bills, etc. So at, during that time, I felt very spiritually disconnected, maybe more disconnected than I had been in like 10 years. It, it was really alarming to me also because I felt like having a child should be this very spiritual experience. For me, it really was, but like raising the newborn and, and dealing with like, oh, is she gaining enough weight and all that kind of stuff really, and the, and the pandemic and all that kind of stuff really took me out of my spiritual center. I felt very, very tied to the physical. I was barely getting any sleep just because of breastfeeding and stuff. And the demands on the body are high because of breastfeeding, carrying her and I was working and all this other stuff. So, uh, so it was very hard for me to feel that pull in my heart, to be in touch with intuition of any kind. I just felt haggard. Right. I was still very much like in love. So that was maybe the only real spiritual center of that time was my knowledge of that sense of how much I love my, my daughter and my husband and you know, even my dog, you know, and, and centering there was the best I could do. And I'm glad that I did that because I think for people who feel really disconnected, that is a really good place to start. Whether it's the people you really love or an activity that you really love to do, 
pointing yourself there is where you can find that connection in the worst of times because that's where the thread is unbroken. Right. I actually spoke to a psychic in that time just to try to do some troubleshooting in a way to be like, what's the problem? Why am I so disconnected? And she gave me a, it was interesting what she told me. She didn't do, she didn't do much psychic reading at all. Mostly she was just providing support for being right. a new mom. You like know? common sense stuff, but it's so hard to see in those moments. That's right. But one of the things she pointed out was you are the mother of a newborn during a global pandemic, which has not occurred in, in your lifetime. Of course you're grounded. You're focus needs to be here right and you know and that left me feeling like like kicking rocks a little bit because it's like yeah I get that I get that I don't want that though I would love to feel bliss I would love to feel connection I would love to feel like part of something greater but I just didn't I was just tired and and what she was really trying to tell me I think was first of all like it's okay Uh, but also to have patience and that a time would come again where my focus didn't need to be so 3D all the time. And she was right, you know, and, and that's something I've kept with me since that time. It's it's sort of funny. I guess I don't I don't spend much time consulting with psychics in general, because in, in I, I tend to run a pretty tight ship in myself. Just through experience, you kind of find the way to do your own internal housekeeping and, and to make sure you're kind of on track, generally speaking. But in that moment, I did because I wasn't connected at all. And I was like, maybe I can talk to someone who is, mm-hmm. you know. And that, that advice really stays with me because it's not like I don't find times now where I feel so grounded. You know that sense of disconnection. Mm-hmm. That sense where, you know, you're not seeing divinity in all the people around you. You're not seeing the magic in a blade of grass, you know. Like right. you, you find yourself uh, in, in the thick of it uh, and longing for that that blissful sense of connection, that place that you hit when you've got a really good meditation day and you experience that oneness, you experience divine love, you experience it. And when you don't get that for a long time, you really miss it. And the demands of modern life serve to try to keep us focused elsewhere so that we don't have that. But I remember what she said, you know, which like, these are seasons of life. Sometimes you're dis- you sense your, this disconnection because your focus actually needs to be here. And that facilitates that focus if you're listening, if you're paying attention to it. So right. it's, it's like approaching it with curiosity instead of grief. Instead of grieving, why do I feel so disconnected? I feel sort of spiritually lonely or something like that to say, well, why? Why do I, why, well, not this can sound a little weird but it's like why do I need to feel this way yeah or like what actually makes sense about not sort of tripping the light fantastic during this time in my life usually the answer is quite clear yeah and it's that there are some practical needs at hand that require your attention it's like okay well I'll handle those things yeah and then it's handled you know right but that's has sort of stuck with me. Also lately, I've been very focused on integration. Mm-hmm. Um, I ran an integration group over the summer this year that was fantastic. It, and not, I mean, not just for the clients I was working with, but it really did a lot for me too. I was very grateful for the women that were a part of that. And in a way, it's like I was grateful that it happened because in a sense, the structure of that container kind of came through in a way like it it came through in about an hour in an hour it's like I knew what it was going to be what we were going to talk about um, what the topics were and everything and then seeing it actually play out with the group was really beautiful and quite profound 
for, I mean, for them and for me, for all of us, because it, it's like we were doing it as a group. It wasn't like I'm the teacher, they're the students. It, it was more like we were just doing it together anyway. Right. And there's something very powerful about that that uh, that speaks to me because no matter no matter how far I go in in my own spiritual path, there's always stuff I'm working on. And I discover what that is or what it needs to be through interfacing with other people. So in that sense, everyone around me is my teacher too. So I can make space for others to do their work. And in doing so, it's me doing my work too. We're right. always doing it together. But the focus of spiritual integration is ultimately knitting the divine and the material together so that it's never apart. And I think that's where I have found the most ability to show up in the in the demands that are required of me as a mom, as an academic, as a person working in American society with a mortgage and yada yada. It's like I can show up as those things too through the power of this integration work. What it really boils down to is three things. And I've people who have worked with me have heard this before, but it's really three key concepts. The first one is understanding that the material is the divine. Mm -hmm. This is emergent. The material reality that we move around inside of and navigate is emergent from the divine underpinning of all things. There's nothing actually worse or something about that's just a judgment call and judgment calls are just opinions anyway. Right. This is one expression of what is divine anyway. We're here learning, we're here learning how to love each other, learning how to love ourselves, you know, learning how to grow and expand and, and, and do this this way. So throwing away the concept first that the divine and the material are separate. I know they feel separate, but I'm like, just roll with it for a little bit. Right. So what does it mean for you if they're not? That can also help you understand how physical reality is a mirror to show you the way, right. your way, not someone else's. It's what you experience in your life is trying to show you your path forward, what you need to work on. So understanding that it's always functioning that way helps release that sense of separateness because it's almost like the universe is talking to you through your environment, through your relationships all the time. Right. And it's, you know, it's like if physical reality is like a big swimming pool, it's like we're all in here being swimming partners together. You know, it's yep. like we, I'm glad we all get to be in it together, uh, releasing the judgment about it, that one right. is better or worse or one's bad or good and let all that go. Like that's actually not helpful to you. Judgments aren't helpful to yourself or others anyway. Mm -hmm. So just try to see it for what it is and be a good listener you know, listen, as in paying attention to your environment or like synchronicities like we were talking mm -hmm. about before, but also listening to the people around you. Like, like you coming here today, I feel like all she's doing is like talking to her like, Whoa. Mirror, mirror, <laughs> mirror, trigger, mirror, trigger, mirror, trigger, 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 red trigger. I'm just like, hang on, stop for just like a second. <laughs> well, okay, we're recording it though. You can like take it in bite-sized chunks later. Yes. Yeah. Bite-sized, that's good. Right. Yeah, but it's exactly what she's talking about, how yeah. your external environment is showing you what you need to work on yeah. or it's showing you, because it is what you need to work on, but it's really showing you your internal state. Where is my internal state right now? What is my internal subconscious state 
telling me mm-hmm. and how you're saying not to judge it where you can say, oh my God, my life is falling apart. I'm always so exhausted or X, Y, fill in the blank. Well, it's like you are in your life. Well, I'm not saying cat, your life is falling apart. Right, right, right. <laughs> Look, right in life is always, you know, falling apart all the time, whatever. But, but it, it's not that it's, it's more saying it's approaching that with curiosity. Exactly. So it's okay to see it how it is. It's okay to see like, oh my gosh, I'm literally losing everything in my life that I thought was a stable thing. Turns out it's not. Exactly. And instead of going, oh no, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. What if you can look at it with a sense of curiosity and ask questions of this circumstance and say, all the things I thought were going to sustain me are going away. What does that really mean for right. my future? Well, I mean, it's it's easy to sort of put on rose-colored glasses and be like, well, I get to do something new. That, mm-hmm. I mean, that's true. Uh, but the reality is that you can't grow if you're only in places where you're comfortable. Right. Mm-hmm. So some area of discomfort has to arise in order to give you space to expand. That's just that's just how it is. It doesn't matter if you're a plant or a person or something else. You have to have a little bit of pressure or stress in some area to push you further. Right. And this is the second time I've heard this. I heard this this weekend at yoga from my teacher. I'm just like, because it's, it there is. There you the go. Truth. It's time to peel away those layers of that banana, Sarah. Yep. Mm-hmm. All is right. Let's push you that way because you're super uncomfortable right now. Oh, right. yeah. Like, it's... I've never been so uncomfortable as I was, like, yeah. right. doing well, that. But it's, I mean, I know it's all for, you know, it's all for the good. Right. So. But I'm trying to, this is why I'm trying to, like, ease this conversation away from judgment calls. Bad, good, worse, or better. Like, if we can kind of move away from that way of thinking it really serves us and and i say this to my clients all the time hard doesn't mean bad right exactly it really doesn't in in fact being faced with a challenge is how we learn and grow right there's not actually another way like you you need to be challenged in some way it doesn't mean it has to be a crisis but whenever you're learning something new you're challenged even if you're just trying to learn to play piano it's not bad that you like can't play the piece Mm -hmm. you just are working on it that's all you know so using that same attitude in our lives helps get us out of this kind of a it's not like we should always feel happy or something or avoid negative feelings. I don't actually believe that. I think you are entitled as a human being to the full range of emotions available to you. They all have something to teach you. It's how you are with them. Right. So if you're having a difficult emotion like anger or grief or anxiety, are you sitting in a bath of it and absorbing it like a sponge? So it's like going into every pore of your being or are you having a conversation with it? Right, exactly. And saying, hey, friend, I see you there. Right. Thanks for coming back. Oh, man, anger, this one's tough. It's always a little weird when you come over. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? And trying to understand what it's about and be like, okay, like, you know, what is this really about? And right. and there's a lot of good advice out there. So, like, anger is usually a boundaries issue. Yep. Right? And, um you know, it's like you can kind of learn about stuff like that. Like what, what in emotions kind of trying to point you towards, but to mm-hmm. see all your emotions of all stripes as indicators 
you know, whereas like, well, what, what's another one? It's like they say that grief is like love that can't be expressed right, or something exactly. like that. Mm -hmm. yep. And, and I totally get that. And I also remind you, it's love that you, th that you think can't be expressed because you're like stuck in the timeline where you're disconnected, exactly. but you can express love anytime you want. You can just send it out. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you're very material, you might be like, oh, well, they will never know, or like they won't receive it. And, and I argue that First of all, I, I kind of think they, they do. The other thing is, though, it doesn't matter. You're expressing that love for yourself. Right, mm -hmm. right. Just like when you forgive someone, you're not forgiving them for them. It's never for them. You forgive for you so you can set that burden down. Yeah. When someone harms you, that's their karma. You don't have to carry it with you. That's like right. their thing. Like, just put, you can, like, forgiveness is you putting it down and saying, I'm just going to work on my stuff. Thank you very much. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And with grief, too, how you're like, send love out. I think creativity is the number one way of how to do that. Because I know for me personally, when I'm grieving, I can't go to the person I'm grieving about and say, oh, I'm so sad because of this lost piece in our relationship or grieving or over dead. a loss of a person. Yeah, they're gone. Right, yeah. and you can't get that person back. So you can settle in that grief and be miserable over a person that you're never going to get back, or you can channel that grief into something else, and you can start painting or singing or playing the piano mm -hmm. or whatever. To you can express channel yourself. It. Yeah. Right, right, exactly. Well, and understand it for what it is. I mean, this this might sound a little radical, and if it doesn't feel right when you hear it, just like set it down and don't worry about it for a while. But I actually think at this stage in my journey that every emotion we feel is actually an expression of love. Mm -hmm. That is very complicated because it's not, it's not direct. It's not like, hey, it's all love, you know, like A to B. It's more subtle than that. It's like if you take love and put it through a filter that emotion is what comes out the other side. With really challenging or difficult or negative emotions, it can, see, it can be really hard to see that pathway. Right. Grief is actually easier because it's like, well, I lost someone I love. Like, okay, right. that makes a lot of sense. Um, it gets a little tougher when you're grieving something like I'm grieving the life I won't get, that I thought I would have that right. now isn't going to happen. Right. Like, how is that love? Yeah, how is that love? But it's like explore how it's an expression of of love or for example like anger it, anger and hatred are two different things so anger is really about uh it can be about compassion actually sometimes when we see harm done to others we are inflamed because we can really identify with the person being right. harmed but that really is compassion isn't mm -hmm. it and then when we look at hatred hatred is actually it's externally directed but what's actually happening is something inside. Right. So if you actually believe you hate somebody else, it's time to look within, right? right? Because it's like the thing that really makes you that level of very directed ire, you know, at a person is usually a pointer at something hiding in yourself or in your family history or something like that that really needs to be addressed. So it's actually a call to heal. Right. So in that way, all of them kind of lead back to the same thing, which Everything is, is love. right, which is healing and living in, in this more embodied way and understanding that love isn't like a romantic thing at all. I would actually say that romance is a contract. Love is something else. It's more fundamental. 
but that being love be, or loving awareness or a heart of compassion, you know, like you can describe it however makes the most sense to you, but that's really the center that all of these lessons are trying to direct us back to, which brings me full circle to why if you're feeling disconnected, the, the place to put your focus is where you're experiencing your love. Right, right, yeah. And it was like that for me too, because I was... I was not like you in my pregnancy where I did let people tell me what to do and where to guide me because when I started having her, I was in so much pain and it, it stalled out and all these things. So I was like, whatever I need to do to get her out in this moment, <laughs> do it because it was horrible, yeah, horrible. And I didn't expect, like I thought contractions would just be in my stomach and I've heard it happen, but it was like my legs, my back. I mean, it was horrible. So after I had her too, I did have my um, in-laws came down and helped, but like, I'm not used to having help. So I was a little resistant to that. Right. Too. Exactly. Where I just thought I, I could do everything myself, you know, and well, I don't need anybody to today about other oh. things. Oh well, yeah. It's something that's <laughs> held true for a really long time. And especially in motherhood. Because in the society, especially in America, we are made to feel like we have to do everything ourselves. We have to be the one to feed the baby, care for the baby, um, nurture the baby, watch the baby, take the baby to play dates, yeah, whatever, cook, and then do the things for your husband or your wife and the house and job. You know, everything. there are so many things. And even when my in-laws were at the house... They didn't intentionally do this, but because of the string of emotions that I had, I almost felt like shameful for the help where I'm like, I, I can't do it all. Like I, like you should have been able to handle exactly, it. Without, oh exactly. Like I'm I sorry, took a Kat. nap, I took a nap and I woke up and I was so pissed off. Because, like, they went to go get food without me, and they ate because they allowed me to nap because I, I didn't allow myself to nap after right. I had her. And I woke up so mad, like, how could you do that? Oh, man. But really, it was me being mad at myself for feeling like I couldn't do everything. And it, there are so many moms out there that are like that. That punish that, themselves for resting. Right, oh right. Oh, my gosh. And I am still that person. I'm still that person. Yeah. Well, in a sense, it's like, I'd like to think I'm not, but this is actually a longstanding issue that my husband keeps needling me about because he has no problem taking a nap on a Saturday afternoon. Generally, my daughter has no problem either, but it's like, I'm the one with the problem. Everyone in the house will be asleep and I just can't. Yeah. And it's not that I have to like be up doing something. I'll lay down. So it's like, I'm getting better at allowing myself to at least rest because right. I've in the past, there have been moments where it's like I'm literally in the kitchen just standing up and there's nothing I need to do, but I feel like I need to. Right, you're looking around like, something. where is something? Right, exactly. But mm -hmm. um, but in general, it's like I'm, I'm taking baby steps. So it's like at least I'm letting myself lay down and be quiet and I'm not finding full repose. But uh, I don't know, give it some time. Maybe... Maybe I'll nap yet. <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe when she's a little older or something. I don't know. Uh, I know. It is crazy. And Sarah, I know you do the same thing where it's like there is always something to do. And for some reason, we feel this urgency. Like if we don't do it right now, it's going to fall by the wayside. And then I'm going to be overwhelmed and I'm not going to be able to do my everyday task. And well, I mean, I go from ooh. like 
the time I get up in the morning till the time Ava's in bed. I mean, I fall asleep every night when Ava's in bed because that's the first time that I'll lay down to rest. Right. Right. I go all day. And to be honest, while we're sitting here, I'm thinking about all the different things I'm supposed to be doing and how hard it is to sit here. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. But that's just where my brain is. (laughs) I'm like, I'm working on it. I'm trying. But this is the plague of being Mm -hmm. in this society as a female and a mom. mom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. It's all of us. It's yeah. all of us because our society has made it this way. It's and it, cultural. Yeah, 100%. Because right. it's like this this sad mix of like Protestant productivity culture where like your level of productivity is like tied to your level of divinity, which is just right. horrifying anyway. Right, right. But it's like mirroring productivity culture with patriarchy is what, is, is what creates this wonderful melting pot where it actually ends up being... Uh, a woman's job to do everything. And there, there are people who will push back against this who say, well, women wanted this. Women fought, you know, in the 1970s. Yeah. You know, they wanted the vote in the 20s. And I was like, come on, jerks. But, you know, and then in the 70s, women fought to be able to be in the workforce in a respectable way, not right. like I'm a... I'm a young single woman coming to the city to be a secretary till someone scoops me up. No. In the 70s, women wanted careers. They wanted mm-hmm. to be able to have bank accounts and credit cards and be fully independent and autonomous economic entities in this country. And unfortunately, that didn't mean an even split between men and women. It wasn't like men and women can both have careers, so now men and women share the load at home. Instead, uh, culturally, so it's like I'm not pointing the finger at like an individual, but culturally, uh, it, the response from men was like, okay, well, if you think you could do all these things, be my guest. Right, exactly. <laughs> Go do it. Right, Have fun. Yeah. But, but it's like the... Ex- Smile. Right. But the expectation wasn't that things would, other things would change. It was like, oh, you want to do all these homemaking things and work too? I mean, sure. I get, you know, that's more money for us to go on vacation or something. Now... I think there's been a shift because, uh, you know, also since the 1970s, there's been very, very little economic development of the middle class. In fact, now it's turned the other direction. Right. So now uh, we're getting the opposite. Of, yep. uh, yeah. So so now the middle class is really shrinking uh, because of stagnant wage growth together with inflation. And when you get that, now we're in a situation where it's not a woman's choice to go to work now. In fact, it's like a woman has a special opportunity if she's able to stay home with her children. It's like, oh man, your husband must be loaded or right. something like that. So it, it turns actually into a requirement now. And I think that's where this other shift at home has begun, which is that if both spouses have to work, I keep saying, you know, husband and wife, but you know, it doesn't, it, whatever configuration you have, married or otherwise, male, female, uh, or any other gender, that's not what's important. It's about finding the balance inside of the family you have. And that's where the conversation is now. The economic balance is such that I know more women that out-earn their husbands than husbands that out-earn their wives. And among, you know, sort of non-cis partnerships, I've actually seen more balance, more healthy balance within domestic requirements and activities than in cisgender relationships. Mm-hmm. And I think we can learn a lot from each other by by paying attention to what this looks like. If women are out earning men a lot of the time, what does that mean about domestic responsibilities and expectations and child rearing? And what should it mean in your family? You know, I, I in my own sort of sphere, 
I've seen many times over this iteration where the woman outearns the man, but it's still, the woman's still the primary caregiver, the right. one who takes the kids to all the doctor's appointments, to soccer practice, who still does all like that organizing and yeah. stuff. He goes to baseball games. Right. So, games. right. But, but that if, if we both have to work, if both partners need to work in order for a household to be viable in our society, then there needs to be a balance at home too. Mm-hmm. And that balance won't always be the same. And, uh, and that's one, of, it's like, I want to give a shout out to my husband, uh, Mike, because we've had a really good track record of like checking in as the balance changes. We have moved a lot. So our jobs have changed a lot. Also, when we had a baby, our, our whole situation changed too. But every time we have these major life shakeups, we have to come together and figure out what the divide is going to be. What is the balance going to be inside of our home? And we both have to be open to change and to compromise. I have a really weird thing about dishes because I had a roommate in college who let it like pile up to the window and you get all sorts of problems when you don't do dishes in your house, right? But it traumatized me. So I'm not big on dishes. Uh, There's a lot of other things I'm happy to do. But, you know, there are these moments where it's like we have a division of labor inside the household. We try to make sure that domestic labor is pretty balanced. And that includes child rearing type of stuff, too. I handle most of the, the sort of like paperwork aspect of our lives. But in all fairness, I took that on. I didn't like no one made me do that. I took it on because I'm very like detail oriented. But we have rebalanced multiple times through our 10 years together because there are times when I've been working, but he hasn't. So he's taking on pretty much all the domestic duties. There have been times when he's been working and I wasn't. So I took on all the domestic duties. Most of the time we've had to find some kind of balance and figure out where it is because that changes too. After I gave birth, even though I was at home for a long time, I had a lot of pelvic floor issues. So I actually Mm -hmm. couldn't walk very well for a little while. You know, so that changes what I can do in the house. Like, I can't be up sweeping, vacuuming, and doing dishes if I can't, like, walk, if I can't be upright, right? So, right. But, but the most important thing isn't what our duties were. It's the fact that we are making, part of our relationship is being able to check in, say, how is this going? Is this working for both of us? And trying to optimize and be fair. Right. And you'll learn a lot about your relationship very quickly trying to have this conversation with your partner. Oh, yes, you will. Yes, you yeah. will. Because we... Like I said, we were totally on the program. We were uh, hardcore in the program for a good bit of our relationship where I was like, I will do everything. And that is a role that I adopted. Right. And also, like, I don't really have a strong parental system to look at, for example. So really, I would look at his parents Mm. and his mom would do that where... She cared for the kids. She took care of the house. She worked. She did everything. And I just thought, well, that's what it's supposed to look like. And again, that's what TV looks like. Right. So I said, okay, I'm going to have to do it. But then I'm like, I would just feel more and more miserable and more and more exhausted and more and more disconnected from love in my life where... I would look at social media and look at all these moms who were embracing their child and loving their child and, and doing all these things with their kid. And I'm like, I just want to go dig a hole and bury myself in it. And I had my spiritual awakening and all that. And I started taking better care of myself. And now where we're at is 
where we're getting like you guys, where we're saying, okay, where are my strengths? Where are your strengths? And then where are my weaknesses and where are your weaknesses? Mm -hmm. And how can we do this together? Because right now I am so overextended where I don't have the capacity to take on a whole lot extra in the house. And honestly, what I have is still too much. And he's already taken a lot of load off and did things. But because my bucket has been overflowing for so long, I have to get it to a stable point before I can really start showing up at 100% as my authentic and best self. Right. And a lot of changes need to happen. And going through that with your partner and having that discussion of saying, I know I've been doing all these things but I need you to do stuff because you haven't been is primarily what you're saying in a different way. Like you can say it in a more loving way. You should not say that. No, no, no. (laughs) But that's really, but that's the truth of what it is. It's like, I've been taking on all these things and I've been letting you kind of, which he worked. He was the main breadwinner because I had to work part time and take care of her and everything else like that. And for me, I'm like, well, he is a breadwinner, so I should do everything, really. Right, but there's, well, there are a couple perspectives I want to share. One is about the language you use. So if you ever train in mediation and stuff like that, you will learn a lot about how to open up these conversations in a way that makes them healthy right. and open and and doesn't open it up to to people being defensive or getting their feelings hurt because you're not going to get anywhere if it feels like an attack or an accusation, right? right? So there's a lot of care in how you want to approach discussions, especially if you're trying to change the status quo. Right. Because that's right. a big change, you know. With with Mike and I, it was different because we we always, you know, even before we knew each other, we sort of were, were dancing to the beat of a different drum. So mm-hmm. there was no status quo. We knew that we were inventing our way from from the beginning. That doesn't mean we haven't had difficult conversations about this at times, especially when my feelings were already hurt. It's it's hard to do this well, but so it's like you want to do it before it's a crisis, right? So, you exactly. know, like pro tip. But it's it's being able to approach it in a way that is an invitation to shift, and instead of making it about what the other person isn't doing, one thing that's really helpful. This isn't just for me. This is a lot of men in our society don't actually know all the things that their right. partner is doing right, exactly. because a lot of it is what is called invisible labor. Mm-hmm. It's not understood that it is something that requires mental space or, or time or, or effort or whatever. Right. So one thing, if you're trying to really, if you're trying to break out of a status quo and you're asking for more fairness in your own domestic situation, a good place to start is to actually list everything out, not just your stuff, but their stuff too. So some people do this on a whiteboard in the kitchen where it's like for the week, they're writing down all the sort of domestic chores or labor, grocery shopping or meal planning or doing, you know, soccer practice and whatever, but actually listing it out, it all out for both partners on a whiteboard before even having this conversation. It just so it lets them see what you're actually doing. Right. Many people are surprised. Many partners are very surprised because they just didn't know especially if they had parents where the mother was just sort of handled everything in the background, they may be completely unaware. So, you know, that is, that might seem passive aggressive, but it doesn't have to be. It can just be like, I'm trying to understand how to make this work better. We'll start with making a list. Yeah. Then it gives you a place to begin with that conversation and to say, Hey, 
this really isn't working for me. I have too much on my plate. Are there some things that you see here that you would be happy to take on? You know, and it's not about them not showing up or like you you used the words like I I let him A or B. It's like we release all of that kind of stuff. We're all autonomous. Like we all can decide for ourselves what we're going to do. What you want is buy-in from a partner who wants a fair split and right. who wants you to feel supported. Right. So opening it up and saying, well, which of these things actually look fun for you is a good place to start. Because you right. might find out that things like soccer practice and grocery shopping are actually fun for your partner. And they just felt like you had it handled and they didn't want to get in the way, you know. Right. And then moving from there, it gives you another place to go and say, okay, there, you know, we can try this the way we've split it up. Or there's, you know, I'm big on lists and stuff. Like I said, I'm very detail oriented and always like, look at the data. Cause then, mm -hmm. you know, cause then it, you can't run away from it as much when it's in black and white. Cause it's not invisible anymore. Right. But then to be able to move from there and say, well, here are the things that I know are more unpleasant or that we don't particularly like doing, but still have to happen. And the, you know what I mean? Do you see how right. there's kind of a progression of like working together? Maybe you're leading the conversation because you're the one who wants the change. Right, right. Uh, but it can be done in a way that is respectful and asking for buy-in and isn't about who's in control. It's about doing what's fair. Right. And it's about working together to discover what that is and understanding that that balance is going to be different two years from now or four years from now or when someone's job changes or when you move, you know, so it needs to be revisited. And it's okay if it's like a living agreement and not that it, you always have to write it on paper, but you know what I mean? Eventually right. you won't need stuff like that because you can just talk about it. But it, it also helps open up space for conversations when other things aren't working yeah. and leaves space for your partner to show up when something's not working for them and, and ensuring that compromise is a two-way street. So it's understanding that if you're doing this in this situation and requesting more from them, they're allowed to do it back and, and it turns into something that is just part of how the relationship is evolving and how your home life and the management of your household evolves with time. It should be something like that. It should be, everyone should do their best to make it a conversation between equals. Yeah. If it's not a conversation between equals, there's room for problems. Right, exactly. And I was just thinking that too, because a lot of times when this come up comes up, the husband or whatever will say, yeah, I'm doing this to help her out. I'm doing this to help out my wife. You're not helping her out. It's not her responsibility right. to do everything. That's you're right. just carrying your weight. Right. Is really what you're doing. That's right. You're taking care of yourself. That's right. You're being of, an adult. Right. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Instead of letting her take care of everything That's for right. you. It is about being equals. Yes. And to be, yeah. And it's, it's interesting to think that in the past, a man seen as fully grown and independent man was not expected to take on any of the, the labor of his household at all. Sounds ridiculous. It Cause crazy. it's like, well, if she disappears, what are you going to do about dishes and laundry and, you know, and everything else? Like it's, it's one of those things that seems very silly in, in hindsight. It also speaks to the nature of like power and hierarchy in our, in our culture, which actually brings me to another sort of quick fix, especially if you're in crisis or are really overwhelmed or oversubscribed. And this is something that, especially when we, we had a little baby, I had too much, like it, I was, I was falling apart. And 
it wasn't because of the division of labor in our household. I just couldn't hang, you know, Mm -hmm. like it's, there's, I wasn't getting enough sleep and, you know, he's working, I'm working, like it, it was just too much. And I had, I, I didn't know how to cope. And my therapist at the time gave me advice again, like these key women in my life that give me a really specific piece of advice that just sits with me forever. She was like, you need to delegate. And she didn't mean delegate to him. She meant outsource. Mm -hmm. And we hired someone to come clean our house every two weeks. Not everyone can do this. So it's not economically viable. But what it means is something really important, which is being able to say this load is too much. And the question isn't, at the time, the question wasn't like, can we afford this thing? It was more on my part, like, what do I need to give up in order to feel supported in this area? And, you know, I found someone who worked with us for like, it was like something like $240 a month or something. She came every two weeks. And for me, you know, I had a lot of costs uh, related to like the pelvic floor stuff and all these other things. And I was still getting some post uh, postnatal massage and stuff like that. And when I looked at the level of support these things would actually provide in real time every day, I realized that I would was happy to give up massage to not have to clean the house. Right. So it was so obviously worth it in that moment. And I'm not again, I'm saying this isn't accessible to everybody. But it's like if you're taking real stock of how much support, and I, you know, I've had this issue with coffee too, because I love my coffees, but there have obviously been times in my life where I've looked at my budget and said, I do not need coffee five days a week by a barista. What I need is to not have to vacuum. You know, what I need is to not have to dust and clean the bathrooms. Like, you know, so it's, it's very specific domestic labor. Or for example, I, I still do this sometimes. Uh, I get, I do laundry pickup. So if it's just too much and I just don't have the time, it's really not that expensive. It's like a dollar per pound of laundry and they come pick it up in a truck, take it away and bring it back folded. Wow. You know what I mean? So it's like there are actually, but I didn't come up with this. This was my therapist telling me like the things you're saying to me, the things that are weighing the most on you are these domestic things that other people will do for money. Right. And uh, at the end of the day, I felt good about it because I was supporting a community member Right. who was already doing this for work and had no issue coming to do it for us at all, you know, and we were able to take care of her. She caught COVID after working for us a couple of months, and we still paid her anyway. She couldn't come clean, but I was like, she has done a lot for me. You right. can have this money. Right. Um, you know, and the laundry thing turned out to be a no-brainer because it's like, I can spare 30 bucks, whatever, yeah. you know. So and it's, you can always trade, too. Or, yeah, If exactly. you're able to, like, right. if you're not so overwhelmed. Or, right. like, I'm sure... Right now, I have so many people I could reach out for help that I just don't, you know. I'm so sure that, that we all have. Though? But, like, I feel like it's like that with women, too, where a lot of women that I know, and maybe it's just because they're a projection of me, where we have, I know, like, some of us really don't have support, but most of the time, we have that one or two people who we can reach out to and say, hey, look, I'm drowning will you please come help me clean my bathrooms Mm -hmm. or vacuum the floor? And I'm sure those people, because you're also giving them an opportunity to give to you. So if they were to say, like maybe they were having a down day and they're like, you know what? It actually would help me to get out of the house. Mm -hmm. So let me come vacuum your house and we can chat or something. And that'll be your payment to me is to let me 
chat to you about how I'm feeling and you can chat to me about how you're feeling and that'll be our exchange. Mm-hmm. You know, th- because women, that's the thing about human beings in general, but women especially, if one of us is in crisis, usually there'll be one of us that steps up to help. Yeah. Well, you and know? I think that's beautiful community building too. And it's it's funny, like, I never, I, it's like I would have never thought of that on my own. I think I was deeply impacted by the isolation of COVID. Right, you know? exactly. Yeah, yours was a little like different. like a year ago. So it's like I would never think like, oh, just have someone over, you know? Right. <laughs> but we should do that. We should all be doing that more, I think. It's right. It's actually like just bringing people over anyway. But I think that's that's fantastic. And what it's also doing is supporting your connections to others inside your community and saying I don't have bandwidth now but you're still able to show up for them when you do so it helps open that up right exactly I really love that well and what am I doing so Kat's daughter dog sits for me sometimes we have a very cute little chewini that actually she seems to love it when she comes over here she likes to um eat breakfast with everyone (laughs) she gets a lot of love yeah but this is i'm realizing there's like examples in my life that in a way you created cat because it's like i would have never asked anyone to do this before me and you met and then there i am doing the thing you're describing without even like realizing it and i'm like practically begging you please let us watch your dog because my daughter (laughs) will not stop asking about her about her yeah so really you're giving to us too by us helping you helping with buns that's so funny she's a pretty sweet pup she is yeah she's (laughs) awesome yeah and there's always ways that you can do that like i have a friend right now her challenge is cleaning her room so i'm like you know what i'll just go help you clean your room and to me i just look at it like i've been there i know what it's like and if i have a free day and i'm able to help i love helping people that's where i find a lot of my happiness if they are truly in a state of gratitude with my help, I will help out every single time. Now, if I'm helping and I feel like I'm absolutely getting nothing back but pushback and, you know, whatever. Or like entitlement's the worst. Right, like no exactly. No one's entitled to help you with your stuff ever. Exactly. But, you know, be be gracious for the people in your life that are willing to, to show up for you and it all it's all good because people right. are very sensible. Right, exactly. That. Yep. If I could just have a little commune with all of my friends and we were <laughs> able to like watch each other's kids yes. and stuff like that, that would be amazing amazing yeah there have been a lot of experiments of that kind in the last century but the problem is right. no one ever wanted to wash the dishes <laughs> but we have actual dishwashers now so right. so i'm like okay in our new plan we're getting like three industrial dishwashers and then we'll be good yep exactly Do you have a dishwasher at your house for the first time in fact in all the places my hu- my husband and i have lived in four different i guess two or no I'm going to get confused. This is our fourth place together, our first, like, house. This is, like, Mm -hmm. our house. We are new homeowners and, you know, everything that goes with that. But it's the first time we've had a dishwasher, and it was Mm life-changing. It was life-changing. Dishes have always been, I mean, that's, I don't, I want to be fair to him. They have not always been, like, a contentious thing. He's always been really good about like being in charge of that since I have such weird issues about the dishes, right? I have issues about dishes too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at I do too. Oh my gosh. I wash seven loads of dishes. I am the dishwasher. Mm -hmm. It's about seven loads of dishes a day. Wow. We are all in very different places. It is so funny. We're all in very different (laughs) places with this same issue. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. it's a thing. But but I have to say I'm very pre- well. And the first thing we noticed, we moved in. The dishwasher, among many things, was broken in this house. Oh, we, I was none too happy with the sellers because they basically told us on their disclosure that everything was in perfect working order, and it was just not true. But we handled it. Right. We handled it, and I'm very happy to say that I fixed the dishwasher myself. It needed two different parts. I figured it out, fixed it myself. It's been a dream. So we're, like, very happy with it. We're like singing the praises of dishwashers, but what I'm saying <laughs> is like utopian communes are possible now because of industrial dishwashing right. technology. Do you like KitchenAid or Samsung? I really like KitchenAid. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Should Mom get a talk. Korean one because all the Korean appliances pr- play like pretty little songs when you turn them on Aww. and stuff like that. So it's like if you want really cutesy stuff, just that little hit of dopamine at the end. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh my goodness, I had a really cute rice cooker that did like little digital eyes, you know, like when it was like it had a face on it. Oh. Yeah. It was, well, <laughs> it makes cute. it fun. Right. Why exactly. Not? Yeah. My washer exactly. makes a little Is right. it an LG? Like, Shut up. I don't know. Ah. It just washes my clothes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Done already. I have to fold. The clothes are clothes are washed. Yeah. Come put them in the dryer. Yep. Yeah. But, but then the dryer's like Meh, and you're like, mm. So, yeah, very grateful for technology that has, like, yeah. lightened the load. Right. Um, you know, but uh, but I don't know. I think there's uh, – I, I think we've talked about a lot of good things today. These are very yeah. practical tips, but, uh, but it's like I keep wanting to circle back to, like, how do we maintain all of these things? Because I was thinking about something you were discussing earlier, Kat, which was about when you're in the moment. So oftentimes when we're, like, in the moment in, like, a conflict – with our kids or with our spouse or whatever, you know, we, we are experiencing an emotion. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we're so in that moment that we don't have the space. We don't have the space to like do our work, do our spiritual work when the thing is happening. Right. And the seed I want to plant about that is that those moments are actually the ripest opportunities for said work to happen right yeah but it's like first order of business is where is the space right you have to have the awareness that's right and yeah because most of the time I I'm a cancer I just emotionally react and it definitely is like my biggest challenge where Mm -hmm. I'm so good if I can take a step back right you know but taking that step back like Sarah and I with our um with the, our little um, tiff that we had because I emotionally acted first because it's hard for me to find that space. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, what would you suggest when you're like that? Well, I, well, I, I always say it's going to be different for everyone, so I always try to start with a grain of salt and say, I can tell you what I do or I can tell you what people I know do, you know, and then go with that. You're going to have to find it for yourself. Yeah. But the first step is realizing it's the awareness, which is saying inside of a moment where you're having a strong emotion to be able to note, I'm having a strong emotion. You're having the emotion, but is there a part of your awareness that is, there's like a metacognition happening. So there's the emotion you're having. Is there a layer of awareness kind of behind that, that saying, this is a strong emotion right. that can just identify that you're having an intense experience. Right. So if you can find that, that is your jumping off point, which is being able to have the feeling and be aware this is an intense interaction. You know, mm-hmm. like something that it sounds very cold when I say it like that, but it's more being aware that this moment is an intense moment. Right. 
is saying, I'm having the feeling, I'm inflamed, or I'm angry, or I'm sad, or, or I'm having a fight or something, and I'm aware at the same time. That's your entry point. Right. What I do is I, I my daughter <laughs> makes fun of me for this. She's three, but she still has seen it enough times that she can joke about it. When this is happening to me, it's usually frustration for oh, yeah. me. Mm -hmm. um, and so I have this breath that I do, very, very typical, but it's like I feel myself getting frustrated. And so I'll go... <laughs> so I'm making like this big, almost like kissy face to like blow the air out in a right. smooth stream. But, uh, but interestingly, it's like I've seen her do it now when, in moments when she's getting frustrated. The other thing is that I've worked on this with her specifically because I want to make sure she understands what's happening because I don't want to scare her or confuse her if I'm having a strong emotion. And it's helped me a lot when I start to get frustrated. I will just say to her, I'm starting to get frustrated. Because that is that metacognition happening, which is I'm having the emotion and I am aware of it at the same time. Then the breath helps me calm down. Getting some space in there doesn't mean getting a lot of time to respond. But it does mean getting a little bit of, I don't know what else to call it other than space. It's right. space between the emotional experience and how you're going to respond to the emotional experience. Right. And so the breath is really powerful because it helps soothe the nervous system enough to do something different because the knee jerk reaction is an instinctual response. You're trying to not listen to that. If you're getting chased down in an alley, like listen to that one. If right. you're in an, if you're interfacing with a person you have a relationship with, then don't listen to that one. Right. Right. So you're having the emotion Take a deep breath to calm the nervous system down. That gives you that little bit of space that where you get to decide what to do instead of letting the emotion decide what right. to do or letting even the body decide what to do. Because it's like when I get really angry, have I had the physical instinct to hit somebody? Yes, I have. Have I ever hit somebody? No, right. I haven't. Right. Uh, because like the instinct is there with all the anger and rage or whatever thing I was experiencing but in inside of the moment of like this is happening and then the 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 one that is aware my mm -hmm. consciousness is able to say we are not doing that right exactly uh, we are not doing that we are going to do we are going to go count to 10 or we are going to leave the room and you know what i mean so it gives you a it gives you a choice because then you have like a range of possibilities that you can kind of select from mm -hmm. you don't get a lot of time though so it's like when you're in the moment it's not like you you can, sometimes you can. So like with my husband, if I need an hour or two to cool down, I can just tell him. It doesn't always go over well, but I could say like, I'm really telling you what I need is some time. Yeah. And then he can be, he can feel however he needs to feel about it, but he understands and, and then we take some time and then revisit it. Sometimes we still need more time and then we can revisit it. But you know, we can, we know how to navigate that together. Right. With the little one, I don't often get the opportunity to say, I'm going to go take 10 minutes to cool down before responding to this, the explosion I just walked into. You yeah. know, usually you have to decide right there and then. But having that little bit of spaciousness with practice, it gets bigger. So it's like your range of options gets bigger. Right. But it's like in that moment of giving yourself this little, it lets you respond in a different way. Right. So instead of yelling or blaming or you know, one of these other things that says like you, you, you are a problem, it turns into a place where you can even just say it differently. Like, I feel this when this happens. Or this is not how we do things in our family. Or 
you have made a big mess here, okay, you can help me clean it up. Mm-hmm. Which is very different. From, you see you see what I mean? Like it's right. a different kind of response. But you can't, as you know, you can't access it if the emotion is making the choices, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like it's important to, to, you have to validate. The feeling you're feeling is a real thing. That's your actual response. You have been inflamed or triggered or whatever. But... Who is driving the bus? Yeah, right. And all the practice, all the mindfulness practices we bring in in yoga and in meditation are there to help us in those moments. Right, exactly. In, in passionate moments, in intense moments, that's the moment to call upon all these other things you've done to bring your to bring your consciousness into the driver's seat to say, I'm making a decision as my higher self would. I'm going to act as my higher self would. I'm going to be in alignment with that possible future, the one where we address this in a way that is compassionate and connective instead of destructive and isolating. Right. You know? Right, exactly. Yep. Man, this has been a good talk. (laughs) (laughs) So much good information. You're awesome. (laughs) We were telling her you should be a therapist. (laughs) Well, I mean, I've been to a lot of therapy. Like, I've gone to therapy for years. I'm a big advocate of it. It is not the only answer. Yeah. It is a good one for some things. So, like, right. I'm really, I, I'm, like, deeply supportive of getting the help and support you need in the ways that work for you. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, so it's, I, I am not, I'm not sort of all one way or the other. It's like, if you have a broken bone, I believe in Western medicine. You know right. what I mean? I think there's, a, I think each thing in its due place. So right, don't exactly. ask it to do something it's not well suited for. Right. You know. Yeah, exactly. I think the same thing. People might think differently because I talk a lot of crap about Western medicine because of the systems, but I'm just trying all the time to just let people know that you can take care of your own issues. You are in charge of your life. Stop looking outside of you for answers and look inside and go with what you feel is right. If you feel like you need Western medicine and medication or whatever, go get it. Mm -hmm. But if you also feel like you want Eastern medicine, do that too. Whatever makes you feel better, do that thing. As long as you're not hurting anybody else. Well, you know? of course. <laughs> right. Well, that's like rule numero uno, right? Right. It's right. Like no, don't, you can't, if you're harming others, you're harming yourself. Exactly. You know? Right. And if it makes you feel better, but you're self-sabotaging, then that's not good too. You know, if you feel like um, this thing that's making me feel better is actually a crutch, then that's something that you have to look at too. Right. Don't confuse pleasure with progress. Exactly. So we're trying to, you're trying to move forward. You're trying to expand and grow and love more. Right. So it's not really all about feeling good. It is about experiencing love, compassion, connection, all you know, and living in an integrous way where you are really showing up and you're really acting acting rightly in that sense that that what your heart is telling you is the right thing to do or the right path forward is always in the direction of love and connection right exactly i think that's a good place to end it well thank you rosa for being here it was amazing (laughs) we're gonna have you back again yay well this has been so fun like i loved hanging out with y'all this morning and like the i hope the podcast turns out really cool oh yeah i'm sure Yeah, Yeah, I think that's going to be awesome. All right. Well, we'll talk to you guys next time. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for joining us on this journey to self-discovery and healing. We hope the discussions and the practices we've shared have helped you to raise your vibration and find more peace and balance in your life. 
Don't forget to be kind to yourself, listen to your body, and trust the process. Make sure to visit our website at vibingconsciouslypodcast.com where you'll find links to listen to our newest episodes, subscribe to our newsletter, and find out where you can find us on social media. If you have a topic that you'd like to be featured on Vibing Consciously or you'd like to be featured as a guest, please reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Keep up the great work. And remember, if you're feeling, you're healing. Until next time, keep shining your light and spreading your love wherever you go. Namaste.